Yo, 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 what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Mike Bartner Show. It is episode 12. As you probably saw on the thumbnail, we have an awesome guest host interview, all that good stuff. I sat down for about 30 minutes with Nathan Murdoch or Gravite. As you probably know him on YouTube or Instagram, he has over 70,000 YouTube subscribers, like 20K on Twitter. Guy is an utter staple in the hockey content creation game, so it was just great sitting down with him, talking, not sitting down with him, we did it obviously over Zoom or Riverside, but it was great talking to him, kind of picking his brain for the upcoming season, how he got started in the content game. He's obviously a guy that I admire that has built a massive following, so that's going to be great. That's the final 30 minutes of the show. We're going to do a couple topics because a lot has happened in the first week of hockey, so let's dive into it. Obviously, the number one story over the past two days has been Owen Power getting signed. Owen Power locked up. Fresh off the heels of the Rasmus Dahlin extension, Kevin Adams locks up Power as well. I love this deal given his potential, but wanted to hear your thoughts. So yeah, Owen Power, obviously, here for the long haul. Owen Power has signed a seven-year contract with an AAV of $8.3 million. And I like it. I, I think I think it's a solid deal. You look at Owen Power last year at only age 20, put up 35 points in around 78 games. He showed those offensive flashes of a future elite offensive defenseman. It was very promising, especially because defensemen do usually tend to take longer. The fact that he was already a probably a good second pair guy sniffing top pair, obviously, if they didn't have Rasmus Dahlin. It was a very impressive rookie season, and they are clearly following the trend that they did with Dylan Cousins and Tage Thompson and paying a guy now and just letting that contract mature because they did kind of mess up with Rasmus Dahlin in the sense that they bridged him. And it was it was tough to, to give him a long-term contract because his contract came up when he put up 23 points in 56 games. But Kevin Adams is yet again betting on his young guys, betting on the salary cap, obviously rising. And when you look at Owen Power... Oh, shit, it's the wrong thing. Owen Power is an offensive beast. He 96 percentile in terms of even strength offense last year. He is an offensive defenseman. He needs to fix some of his defensive game, but the offense is already there. I don't think he's ever going to be putting up 55, 60, maybe 55, but like 60 plus points just because they do have Rasmus Dahlin. And that's where he does kind of need to develop some of his defensive game because he won't get those power play opportunities. But when looking at Owen Power, if he can be a reliable 50-55 point guy, shore up those defensive warts, and you get him from age 21-22 all the way up until 30, you're getting him for his entire prime. It's not like other deals where these guys get locked up at 26-27 and then you're paying them into their mid-30s. This is solely, oh, it's only a seven-year deal. So this is him 22-29. to 29. You are getting Owen Power as long as he can be a top 40, 30 defensemen in the league. This is probably fair value throughout the duration of the contract. You look at the athletics model that models these contracts. They don't love him in the first couple of years of this deal. It says that he's only worth six points. He's going to be worth only 6.7, then 7.7, then 8.5. Then you're going to get into that surplus value. They don't really love him from a defensive standpoint and don't have him that high from an offensive standpoint. But I think overall, Owen Power... He was the first overall pick for a reason, not that I, I look at the draft position, but based on the trajectory of his career, gets drafted, very good year at Michigan, NHL ready, NHL body. He played 23 minutes and 48 seconds last year as a rookie on a pretty defensively deficient Buffalo Sabres team and is 
His advanced stats defensively weren't that good, but in terms of his on-ice goal percentage, he was 55.3%, which was the best out of any Sabres defenseman. And in terms of defensemen that played over 1,000 minutes last year, he was 41st of 149. That That's pretty impressive as a goddamn 20-year-old. The one thing I do think that he needs to improve with his game is he's a 6'6 guy, and, and he, de- he definitely is still growing into his body. But despite that, his hit numbers were pretty atrocious last year. He was fourth least in the entire league. And I know you might say, oh, Adam Fox is a pretty good defenseman. Quinn Hughes is a pretty good defenseman. Quinn Hughes is 5'10". Adam Fox is 5'11". Those are smaller end guys. I, I, I'm not like a boomer, like he needs to be hitting 100 points hits a year. But I do think he was kind of a little bit timid, a little bit shied away from physical contact on the defensive end. Other players were kind of able to bully him despite him being 6'6". So I think if he has more of an aggressive defensive mindset and is able to utilize his body more, that's only going to improve his defensive game. So I would like to see him in that even a 40 to 50 range improvement this year in terms of hits would be a massive improvement and overall help his defensive game. But yeah, I think that this deal, there's definitely some risk involved in it because we've seen other defensemen in the past kind of stall out while they're young. I'm I don't think that's going to happen with Owen Power, but with him and Jake Sanderson, you cannot say that these are utter steals because we haven't even seen him crack 40 points and be legit elite top pair defensive end. But I think given Buffalo's cap situation, this is this is, this is is a very good deal considering now they have Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power, uh, Tage Thompson, and Dylan Cousins locked up for under $34 million. I think it's about $35.5 million dollars. Up until 2020, 2020, 2030, I believe. 2030, their entire big four is locked up pretty cheap. And by 2030, the cap is going to be over $100 million. So you're going to have your four best players making less than a third of the salary cap. Back what was Toronto's and it was worst. It was like $40 million for four players. You're going to have them for 33. And with those deals, those guys, Paige Thompson's the oldest of that bunch, and he's still 25 years old. Maybe he's a fresh 26. So those guys are all in their prime. It's not like Toronto Maple Leafs when you had to give John Tavares that contract at 27 and it rapidly starts to regress. You're going to be getting those four stud guys for the most part all at bargain. If if power progresses by year three, by year four, he's going to be worth that. That's going to be a probably surplus value deal. Darlene isn't a fantastic deal, but if he is going to be, if he's going to win you near the Norris, he's going to be worth more than $11 million. Norris finalist, that's probably like 11, 5, 12. And then the Cousins and Thompson deal, them being at a combined $14 million, really allowed Kevin Adams to take those risks on slight risks. Obviously, I don't think they're they're massive risks, but those two contracts allowed Kevin Adams to say, I'm not going to pinch pinch pennies, try to do a bridge, another bridge deal with Darlene or do a bridge deal with power. I'm just going to pay them because we have so much surplus value built up with those two other contracts that I think Buffalo definitely has. In terms of core four, maybe I have to gotta make a video or video or a list on that. Best core four salary structures. It'll be really hard to find a team that's better for the, over the next seven years in terms of their salary structure as the Buffalo Sabres, because their only bad contract right now is the Jeff Skinner one. But even him was above a point per game last year in terms of long-term deals. So the Sabres are looking pretty good. But let me know in the comments. What do you think about this own power extension? Do you think he's worth it? I want to hear from you guys. On to the next one. Kent getting bent. 
Hey, Mike, saw your com- saw you comment on it, but how did Kent Johnson just get healthy scratched by the Jackets? If they were a contender, sure, but they stink. Play the young guns. That comes to us from Emmanuel. So obviously, it was kind of a shocker this morning when a tweet came out from a Columbus Blue Jackets reporter that Kent Johnson, as, long, as well as Liam Foudy and Adam Boquist, Boquist was the guy that they got in the Seth Jones trade, former top 10 pick in 2018, were healthy scratches in the season opener against Philadelphia. A season opener that the Columbus Blue Jackets would go on to lose 4-2 to the Philadelphia Flyers. So obviously not a good showing in terms of the team. But it's a shocker. I mean, Kent Johnson, 2021 fifth overall pick. You expect after a pretty solid 40-point rookie season, you expect him to take that next step. Last year, he played between 14 and 15 minutes. You're expecting him, maybe not so much because they have Fantilli. He might have switched to the wing. But you're expecting him to play at least 15 again, maybe 16 minutes, step into that legit top six role. And now he's going to healthy scratch. He's now, now he's going to healthy scratch. Pascal Vincent had some pretty interesting quotes to say about this. What do you need to see from Ken Johnson? He said that he's a very skilled player. He's a great guy in the room. Guys respect him and there's a reason why, but he had to make a decision. He kept on, he kept on saying that Ken Johnson will be a blue jacket for a very long time. And he's going to be a great player, but moving on to the second quote he's he kind of was a little bit not not trashing him but his his training camp was not the best his training camp was not the best in terms of ken johnson he said i took a pretty long detour here in kj's case that's the pace just get the pace in going going i know he can bring it he can the morning after he was one of our best players so it's good to see see it so in terms of that there's one more quote that i want to show but he really stressed this pace this pace of play that Columbus is trying to play with. And apparently Ken Johnson wasn't bringing it in training camp. Here's the other quote when talking about another guy that made the opening night roster over him, Emil Brinsham. Brinsham is second on our team for points in preseason. In the preseason, Kent Johnson had only two assists in four games. Brinsham had three goals, four assists in five games. So that's, that's for context. Uh, Brinsham, he's got a lot of confidence. He gets involved physically. He's good on forechecking, scoring goals. So that's what we want. We want guys who are competing, and my job is to reward the guys that are doing to their best abilities something it creates, that competition within the team. And for me, that's healthy. Guy like Brensham comes in here, and he's like, I'm a bubble guy, but he's here to make the team and earn his ice, and he did it. Nobody can argue with that, so good for him. So obviously, not taking like a dig at Kent Johnson, but just saying that some other guys played better, made the team over him, which I think... Which I think is fair. I mean, I, yes, he is the fifth overall pick. Yes, Kent Johnson is more of a future player than, say, a Emil Brenstrom, a Sean Corrali, an Eric Robert Robinson. But I do kind of respect to agree that he's not holding Kent Johnston, Johnson on that pedal stool just because he went fifth overall that he's almost entitled to playing time. I found this tweet pretty interesting from a, whoops, from a Columbus Blue Jackets account. People wanted Larson fired because he didn't hold players count, hold players to a high enough standard. They want Vincent fired for holding players to a higher standard. So when looking at that, when looking at Kent Johnston, Johnson, oh my, I keep on saying why Johnson, like why Johnston, Kent Johnson. I think they're both 2021 draft. That's messing me up. But Kent Johnson, when looking at him, yeah, I, I do appreciate that Vincent is coming in and saying he doesn't. He wasn't a part of the draft process for Kent Johnson. He doesn't really owe him anything. He needs to make the team. This will be a problem, though, if he continuously gets scratched, if you know what I mean. Like, if they're throwing him up in the press box multiple nights, 
I think that's going to start being ridiculous. If as long as this is just, oh, I know you have the talent. You didn't display it in camp. We're going to have to healthy scratch you tonight. But once you do start displaying that, you're going to have a serious role in this team. If Kent Johnson starts playing, goes from 14 minutes, 30 seconds last year to playing 11, 12 minutes next next year, then, then I'd probably have a problem with that. Then I'd honestly suggest that they send him down to the AHL. But if this is just a one-off in terms of Kent Johnson, didn't have the best camp, Vincent wants to show him a lesson, to teach him a lesson in the sense that not everything's handed to you. You're not the golden boy. You're not Connor Bedard or yeah, you're your fifth over fifth overall pick. We believe in you. You have the talent, but you need to prove it. I kind of like that move. I saw a lot of people extremely outraged. And to a degree, I initially was like, that's weird. Whatever. I didn't say that's a bad move. But obviously, Pascal Vincent knows more about what's going on with the Columbus Blue Jackets than me and you. Shocker. Shocker. I'm breaking some news with that. I'm going to trust him in terms of evaluating based on the training camp, who gives him the best chance to win the next game. He's in practice. He's doing all that stuff. I do think it will be bad if he prioritizes Eric Robinson, Sean Corrali, Emil Bernstrom, like further down the season. If Kent Johnson is not developing, I partially blame him. And also they do need to give him some ice time. You cannot throw him in a bottom six role because he did just score 40 points. He clearly has the offensive tools in part goes on Pascal Vincent to fig to help him to help teach him that system and optimize him to the best ability. So this is definitely gonna be a situation to monitor. I think people are overreacting to a degree. I, I could see Ken Johnson playing 16 minutes the next game just because Pascal Pascal Vincent lights a fire under his ass. And maybe that's something that he needs. Maybe that's just something that he needs. Some players do respond positively to these healthy scratches. And if you don't, that's honestly a bad sign. I would prefer. I, I, I would like to think that Kent Johnson sees this instead of saying, I've scored 40 points last year. I'm a fifth overall pick. I'm the guy. Like I'm the franchise player for this team. I hope he realizes, oh, maybe I didn't play my best in the training camp. Maybe I have another level to get to. So I really hope that happens with Kent Johnson because I am still very high on him. I mean, last year, he displayed a ton of talent. He obviously scored that one disgusting Michigan goal, but he has the offensive tools to be an eventual 70 to 80 point guy. I would go so far to say that. So I hope that this really does light a fire under his ass and we see a, a new and improved, more pace, as uh, Pascal Vincent says, pace and two-way play in Ken Johnson's games. He wasn't that good defensively last year. Maybe this could be one of the better things to happen in his career and when looking back on it, it's only one game. It's not the end of the world, but that's definitely something to monitor. The last question before we get into this interview with Grav, the Bedard effect. So the NHL clearly went full double down on Bedard marketing, and it seemed to have paid off. Is he already the face of the NHL? And if not, who is? That comes to us from Drew. So obviously, Connor Bedard, not only on ESPN opening night, on TNT the following night against the Boston Bruins, and it was a massive success for the NHL as a whole. In terms of the ESPN numbers, Chicago and Pittsburgh averaged 1.43 million dollars million viewers. This is ESPN's most viewed regular season game on record. And then the following night, NHL on TNT, they got 896,000 viewers for Blackhawks versus Bruins, which was the most watched regular season TNT game in history, excluding the Winter Classic, because obviously Winter Classic, New Year's Day. It's the only like game on, at least at the time. It does massive numbers. But when looking up a dart, yeah, I mean, he smashed the TV ratings. He, I, I, it, It's kind of expected. 
if if you would have told me what the previous regular season ratings record was, I probably would have said he has a decent chance of breaking it. Just because you look at it, the first game of the regular season is always going to be, for the most part, the most viewed game, unless you have a like last second, like win winner take all to make the playoffs. That's the only thing that can really top it for the most part, or like the winter classic or stadium series, maybe. But when looking at this game, Connor Bedard was obviously the number one topic. You had Sidney Crosby too, which is also a pretty big draw. But I wouldn't say Connor Bedard is the face of the league now because there's just so much intrigue regarding Connor Bedard in his debut. There was so much hype that, oh, maybe he could go for 90, 100 points. Then so much other hype that like, oh, he's only 18. He's not that good. There was so much mystery regarding his game, how it would translate to the NHL, that there was just so much eyeballs. I think in a couple months when the Chicago Blackhawks have a 45 or 40% points percentage, Connor Bedard is, is doing very good, but there's not a lot of mystery around them. If they're on ESPN, then I still think it does very good numbers compared to like most teams. Don't get me wrong, but he's not pulling in records at game 37 when the Blackhawks have 30 points and he's still doing solid. I, it's, it's, it was the perfect storm. It was really the perfect storm. ESPN and TNT did a very good job with this, especially ESPN. Gary Bettman deciding that that Penguins versus Blackhawks game would be the opener was a fantastic idea because obviously you have the old guard and the new guard. I know McDavid still exists. That kind of pissed me off too, where they, how they kept on stressing that. Obviously, McDavid still exists, but for Crosby, he only has a couple more years left. Bedard obviously just getting started. It was a perfect dichotomy matchup. I think I used that word correct, but a perfect matchup in terms of storylines and as a result the nhl absolutely killed it in terms of face of the league it's still Connor mcdavid but obviously Connor mcdavid's not going to bring as many eyeballs opening night because this is year eight of the edmonton oilers and we know he's the best player in the world and we know he's gonna be great we, we know what to expect that's what i'm saying Connor Bedard, there was a bunch of mystery and there's still gonna be mystery throughout the season see if he can continue to take his game to another level that's not really the case with Connor mcdavid but Connor mcdavid is still the face of the league if there was a player, as I said, with game 37, would I rather watch Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks once I know they're a bad team and I know he's a stud? Or would I rather watch Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, mainly Connor McDavid? It's no doubt Connor McDavid. It's, it's still great that the NHL now does have this. Another young, marketable star like a Connor Bedard. Now you have Hughes, Matthews, Bedard, uh, McDavid. League's in a very good spot in terms of young faces. Five years ago, that was not really the case. It's Crosby and Ovechkin still. You didn't know who was going to rise to the top. I guess McDavid was on the rise then. But the NHL is in a very good spot in terms of marketable faces. And Connor Bedard is definitely in like five, in like six to eight years, once McDavid does start regressing, he is going to be the face of the league. I, I fully believe that as long as, even if he's not the consensus best player, he probably will be the face of the league just because of so much hype that he had and the fact that he is on the Chicago Blackhawks. Like that's the thing with Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane early 2010s, Crosby was better. Crosby was obviously battling injuries. Ovi was better, but who was on the better, who was on the best team and was in the biggest market comparatively to those other guys and played with absolute flash and style. It was Patrick Kane. He was basically the face of the league early, early in the 2010s, at least in America. So when looking at Connor Bedard, I think that in the market of Chicago, he is going to be absolutely massive. The TV ratings are going to stay very high because it is the second biggest hockey market in America and like the fourth 
in the entire North America, only Toronto and Montreal probably also surpass it. But yeah, he's he's going to be massive and it's awesome for the NHL. But let me know in the comments, what do you think about the Bedard effect on the NHL? And without further ado, we went for 20 minutes there. We are going to throw it to our interview, my interview with Nathan Murdoch, Gravite. We talk a lot of hockey. I hope you guys really enjoy it. See ya. Yo, what is going on, guys? We are back with another interview. I am happy to be joined with a legend on the YouTube sphere for NHL content. I'm welcomed. I'm joined by Nathan, or as you guys probably know him as Grav. How are we doing? Yeah, I am very welcomed. That is very true <laughs> to be a part of this. It's great to be a part of this as well. And thank you guys for coming in, listening to the pod. It's going to be a special episode today. Yeah, we're diving into it. We're filming this on Thursday. Going to be out Friday, obviously. So we've had two games of NHL action. But first off, I kind of want to just dive into your overall background. You're coming up as a hockey creator, your journey as a whole, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. There's some overlap between our two fan bases followings. But just let me know, how, how did you get your start in NHL content creation? And how has your journey overall been? It's been a uh, blast, <laughs> to put it lightly. I mean, it's something that, I mean, I could go all the way back to when I was watching Texas Rangers games as like a 10-year-old being like, oh, I want to be a commentator. I want to be somebody talking about sports for a living. Um, and it didn't really, wasn't really anything until I was 14, actually. And the story I always love to tell is how I got my, I got my Google account started by signing up for Pokemon Go in 2016. And I was <laughs> like... Days. Okay. All right. I mean, and over the course of the next year, I, that's when I started to watch a lot more sports YouTube. And eventually, I, I mean, it's probably not a surprise, but I found Steve Dangle first in the hockey sphere. And um, at first, I started making videos on the Texas Rangers at the start of 2017 and making just basically like uh, LFRs, but for them. So it'd be like every series mm -hmm. I would do something. And Eventually, I was starting to integrate more stars content as like, at that point, it was already my favorite sport by far, but it was starting to become even more exciting for me to talk about and for me to just, just want to put my opinions out there. And eventually I would and I started just uh, doing the stars. But as things broadened, as I was able to put more time into it, really, I was just able to uh, talk about a lot more of the league and eventually that was what uh, was really started to ch take off the channel and everything is, is um, I guess a lot of the, like the breaking news videos I would make and a lot of the uh, trade videos I would make. And um, it's funny because I feel like if I never broadened out, I have no clue where I'd be right now, but of course still um, I've always had that dream, I guess, of, of talking about sports and, you know, I'm not on ESPN or anything right now, but you know, I, I still am very proud of all, all that is, become and of course the fact that like a couple people uh care about my opinions <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean yeah you you started so young i didn't start till i was like yeah. 20 or 21 years old junior year of my college but going to now you said espn obviously you went from sportsnet you were doing content from them now you know more transitioned into the steve dangle network how has mm -hmm. that been overall obviously they're a pretty brand new company i know a couple people over yeah. there what has your overall experience been in what are you guys kind of trying to bring to the table to differentiate as a company? Yeah, to me, it's been a, a blessing to work with them uh, and do a lot of the, I did a, a bunch of trade uh, or not trade rooms. Um, I did a bunch of season previews for uh, 
every team um, a couple months ago. And uh, that was a unique experience because especially uh, with sports I mean, of course, I was able to work with Steve and producer Drew over there. And by the time that my time with sports was done, they were already, you know, full time of SDPN. So, you know, it was kind of a natural like, oh, hey, can we make something work with this? And um, of course, that ended up happening. And uh, to be able to work with them during that, uh, during all that has been awesome. And they're amazing people over there. I mean, I think the best part about it is just how authentic it is, just how like built for the fans it is than anything else. Um, and I think that's why I guess the transition was so smooth and uh, just working with all of them uh, in Sportsnet, but also just in SPPN has been uh, awesome to, to just be around those people. Because I, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts about the job is being able to just talk and be around all these awesome hockey people. And that's honestly one of the biggest blessings from it, especially Steve. He's he's class act, man. Love him to pieces. Yeah, no, I, I've really been liking like SD, SDPN's kind of new content that they're launching all that. It's a lot more personal. It's not like buttoned up like ESPN, mm-hmm. TNT, where like you could need to be like an NHL veteran to even get on the shows or to <laughs> be qualified on there. It's a lot more laid yeah. back, just kind of for the common man, which obviously me and you, I don't know if you really grew up playing hockey, but yeah, we didn't we, we didn't play college hockey, yeah. pro hockey, all of that. So it's it's very, it's, a lot, it's maybe a little bit more of a welcoming environment mm-hmm. for overall hockey takes and all that but yeah so moving on obviously the nhl season started as a whole what has your kind of takeaways been of the first two nights yeah uh i gotta say this is like one of the seasons this is maybe my most like anticipated season i don't know about you but this is like coming into it like everything about it is just so exciting um i think the best part about it is how many teams have just I think the biggest difference is just how many teams have a player that you want to watch. How many teams have somebody that can draw you in? Like even Chicago now has, of course, I mean, obviously everybody's, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Connor Bedard, but you got yeah. players like Lucas Reichel, who I love to pieces and, and Kevin Korchinski coming in, like all these teams, like I can even name the worst team, which is going to be San Jose. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I have my dog, William Eklund on there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Eklund's at least someone to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is I feel like there was a little bit of a slight oversaturation once, of course, we saw Vegas and 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 a little bit uh, a little bit more uh, expansion. And I feel like we've started to see the player base kind of catch up a little bit. But that spread, I think every team has somebody to watch. And um, just with the infusion of so many so much good young talent, and still the fact that we still have Crosby and Ovechkin going, we still have McDavid in his prime. Like to me, there has maybe not been a better mix in the NHL maybe ever of talent and yeah. potential and and just competitiveness like it, it is so much fun to watch and I think that speed and everything we've started to finally see just all these new players who have grown up with a little more of a speedy game a little bit more of a skilled game and we're starting to see the repercussions of that we're starting to see almost every team has somebody that can make a game breaking play. And I've just, I've just been loving it so far. It's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. As you mentioned, there's, there's really no clear cut favorite heading into this year. It seems to be one of the most competitive Mm -hmm. years because even Vegas that just won it, they're starting to get up there in age. Colorado made some moves this summer. Landis Cog still obviously on LTIR just overall the competitive balance compared to last year where like previous years, Tampa was kind of like the presumed favorite the last previous three years. Colorado was a juggernaut that year. Once they were heading into the playoffs, it kind of looked in that direction. Mm -hmm. And just overall, the the young players finally have some personality. Like five, six years ago, there was a lot of fun players in the league, but like you knew literally nothing about them. So I think that angle for the NHL this year, it's going to be one of the most fun years in NHL history as a whole. Do you have I, I'm pretty sure I watched your your video preseason preseason prediction video, but mm-hmm. who is your Stanley Cup pick right now? Um, for me, 
I this is so embarrassing for me because <laughs> every time I'm I say it, I have to reserve the fact that I'm not biased. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Because I predicted last year, I did not see the stars making the playoffs uh, in the preseason last year. I didn't I have did them either. Not, I didn't have them either. I did not have them making it. I I thought the blues would be better. That's how pessimistic I was on the stars. I have them winning the Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> I like it. The only thing and the only problem I have with the Stars is, like you looked at in previous years, Vegas had Theodore and Petrangelo, Colorado had Hayes and McCarr, Sergachev, Hedman. I just don't think they have that number two defenseman quite yet. Maybe Thomas Harley can turn into that. So That's if fair. you're looking at the Stars, what do you think their biggest weakness is? Is it that? Is it some other aspect of the game? You obviously know a lot. So what what is their differentiating factor that could lead them to win the Stanley Cup, but also potentially lead to them i think we all agree they're gonna make the playoffs in some form or facet form or fashion but what are what's the biggest question mark and what's the biggest trend yeah to me you hit the nail on the on the head i feel like that's top four you have a lot of guys that could play up to their their different standards um thomas harley of course i'm expecting a big year out of him i will say i do expect uh essa lindell yanni hockey to do a little bit better than they did last year now putting those two together on a pairing still makes no sense to me at all <laughs> because yeah. they are the exact same player um <laughs> just bruisers defensive yeah. defensemen. yeah and that's i think been the biggest thing that's almost held Mira Haskin from being, I mean, besides uh, until until last year, getting a lot of that attention is because he is on the ice for a lot of goals that maybe his partner uh, is the reason because of it. He's he's a player that has had to carry the stars in a lot of ways. And even last year was definitely a player that had to carry them with Ryan Suter on his pairing. So I would say, yeah, that is absolutely the biggest weakness. But I also feel like the forward defense might be get a little bit better players like sam Steele, i think are pretty underrated in that aspect um matthew shane is going to be really interesting as a top six edition yeah but i I would agree with that i think another big reason why it was so disappointing last year with jake ottinger kind of being uh, reportedly banged up uh in the playoffs last year that was a huge blow uh especially after that first round versus minnesota he did not look good and I mean, that, that might be a biggest thing. If he's able to stay healthy, if he's able to stay consistent, he might be able to mitigate some of the uh, Ryan Suter-isms in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, the other thing that scares me with Dallas, and I still have them like 110-point team. They're going to be yeah. battling yeah. in the Central Division. I have Colorado winning the Cup, but that, that's a whole other thing. The Ooh. other thing that kind of scares with me, that with me, with them a little bit, is like if Pavelski takes a step back, I think we can agree that Jamie Benn's going to take a little bit of a step back. They do have Probably. some older pieces. That could maybe hurt. What do you think that Ben Sagan and Pavelski, do you think they're going to stick at that level? A little bit of regression? What are kind of your expectations for them? Well, it's funny because (laughs) I feel like the oldest player in Joe Pavelski is the one I'm worried about the least. Yeah, you know that's, how, that's that's pretty funny to think about. Um, But also considering, I mean, Jamie Ben, I feel like still... He has to prove to us that it wasn't a fluke season. Um, yeah. And Tyler Sagan, I think, is a player that has just been, um, unfortunately, just kind of, I mean, I hate to say, like, irrelevant on, on the Stars team. That but injury I feel ruined like, him for the most part, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like he's been a player that you obviously expect a lot more of, but he hasn't been that player in a long time, which the Stars have unbelievably been able to work around i mean the fact that you you could have said last year when of course ben was still not in his resurging season if you said that ben and Sagan would be afterthoughts and this stars team would be cup contenders like yeah making making even, like 19 million dollars combined or something how does it even make like sense? that it's insane um yeah. 
but I would say, yeah, Joe, I have no doubt is still going to be at a, at a good level. I wouldn't say that he's going to be, I could see him taking like a slight step back, but kind of being in like a Matt Zuccarello territory where he might not still be the guy on his line necessarily, but he's going to be a great, com- uh, amazing complimentary piece. We, we can see what Joe is made of. Um, but I would say out of those three, I would say Sagan maybe has the best chance of having a better year, but that's just because yeah, getting just back just into game action, maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe he's able to do a little bit better, be a little more consistent in his finishing because that has completely evaporated. But I, I feel like those are uh, honestly um, just kind of, at least with Ben and Sagan, they're in a weird position where they aren't, you know, the main drivers anymore. Um, but I would look for, uh, it's so funny because Jason Robertson was like almost a point per game in the playoffs last year, but there were a lot of times where you're like, okay, can he be, can he be, can he have that extra gear? You know what I mean? Can he, can he yeah. look a little bit more dominant? And I think mean, honestly, this next year, that might be one of the biggest signs of improvement. If not just hints who we've seen has been in a beast in the playoffs, but yeah. also Robertson can be that, that, that guy, you know, that to me is one of the biggest things. Yeah, it was funny during that run because, yeah, it was like Hintz was getting all the love and he was playing out of his mind. People were like, Robertson's yep. like a fraud. He said it was still like, point, <laughs> he still had like, whatever, exactly. like 20 points in 20 games. Exactly. Like, chill. Like, he's not having the best thing, but he's not going absolute yeah. ghost mode and they're still winning. So, yeah, Dallas Stars Cup pick, I think, out of the Western Conference, that would probably be my second team that I would go with. So, I really mm-hmm. like that. Who's a team that maybe not win the Stanley Cup, but can surprise some people and make the playoffs? I'm going to die on this hill. And, mm-hmm. Mike, I'm going to get a lot of hate and a lot of... <laughs> I'll clip this one, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> I'll expect it. Um, but this is one that I I think I am the only person to ever have this opinion this year. And I got to say, if they, uh, that first game, people were dogging on them in the first, after the first period, as they should. But I am a firm believer that this Nashville Predators team will be a playoff team when it's all said and done um to me i think that game versus tampa showed a lot of good things and they got uh, they have a lot of new faces so i wasn't surprised yeah. to see that that game started off horribly for them but you saw five on five when they weren't taking penalties they were wiping the floor with tampa arrested yeah. tampa team and to me i think they have so many underrated young players i mean even players like evangelista didn't have didn't even have their best game but still looked pretty solid but players like that cody glass taking that next step tommy novak is dude like out of nowhere yeah (laughs) the dude night and day has become an ahl player or gone from an ahl player to a a difference maker every single game Mm -hmm. and i love the mature additions of ryan o'reilly that is already a captain like presence on that team added philip forsberg is going to be healthy that is huge nyquist when he is healthy has proved to be a really underrated score the past couple years i like that depth on nashville squad but to me it all comes back to uc Saros. to me i think he's going to have an mvp year he was insane in that game versus tampa tried to still steal it but unfortunately wasn't able to in the end but i think Saros is going to be a big difference maker i think lincoln as Saros is back was unreal last year or that's going to continue this season to me the biggest question mark might not even be the scoring but it might be that defense because there yeah. are guys where i'm like yeah are they deserving of a top four spot are we really giving top four minutes to jeremy Lazon? <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i feel like in the end it'll be enough to float around uzi sorrows hopefully and uh, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest reasons why I'm so adamant on this pick is Andrew Burnett, who just every single year, the past few years has had so much success wherever he's gone with Florida as a head coach with New Jersey as an assistant. Um, to me, I, I really have belief that he's going to turn that team into something special. Um, maybe not. I, I, to me, I have them fin- uh, finishing in that, in that wildcard spot. They'll face the stars, probably get swept in the first round, but dang it. I have to make it the playoffs. That, that'll be their Stanley cup. That's basically yeah. their Stanley cup. If they make yeah. the playoffs somehow. Yeah. No, I, 
UC Saros, I've I've loved him. I think he's an absolute stud. He gets left out of the top three, top four goaltender discussion yeah, in the he NHL. Shouldn't. He shouldn't. I really don't know why, just because he plays on a worse team. He his advanced stats. He was like arguably the best goalie in the entire league last year. Yeah. yeah, my thing is that that defense core is a little bit shaky. UC Saros can only play it's so trouble. well until <laughs> he lets up four goals on 45 shots and he still has yeah. pretty good numbers. But it's going to be interesting. Yeah, there's just too many question marks for me personally okay. in terms of yeah. that young forward core. It's, uh, it's high potential. I, I, I see the vision definitely. It's not like you said, the St. Louis Blues are going to make the playoffs or something like no. out of nowhere, like Jordan Binghamton, like <laughs> bounce back. That's the caliber season. We've but been, we've I, been I hoping for that I, for years, but that's never. Yeah, no, nah, that, that, that ship has sailed. I like their yeah. forward core, the Blues, but like the defense and Binnington is just so bad. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But uh, what's maybe on the flip side of that, a team that everybody's predicting to make the playoffs, but you have just missing or a team that's like a division winner that you have finishing in like a yeah. wild card spot or something. Yeah, to me, uh, on the flip side, another one that's probably going to get a lot of hate because this team has been such a juggernaut in the conversation the past year. And to me, that's the Buffalo Sabres. I think that Atlantic is nutty. I think it is insane, but I look at it and I'm, and I know, I know a lot of people are on the Levi train, but there has literally never been a goaltender coming in as a rookie. And it's all, it's the whole meme that, you know, they, that they need AHL time to perform eventually. But there's been very few goalies that have been able to step into the NHL and be complete starters in year one, as well as having the backup options that he does. Not and good, yeah. Eric Comrie and UPL, they at the very best, Comrie might be able to play like 15 games or something, but that's all he's been able to really prove. He hasn't played more than 20 in a long time, I'm pretty sure. And he's just a player I don't I don't feel easy I don't feel easy with liking as Levi's backup. I thought they needed to go after somebody, at least get a fringe guy that can be an older presence for Levi and bring some stability at least a little bit. To me, I, I, I might see Levi doing great at the start of the year, but kind of, you know, in that second half when he's playing 60, 65 games or something, just kind of trailing off a little bit. And to me with Buffalo, I stole some concerns with that defense. You go after, you go, you go and get Connor Clifton, I guess. But to me, that's still a big concern. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even though you might have Matias Samuelson healthy, that will improve things. I think the team, especially the four group, is rough defensively. And I think that's why, I guess, the defensive, or I guess the lack of big defensive additions really hurt me. Because, I mean, people are talking about them getting Patrick Kane. Their team is already a black hole on (laughs) on defense. Like, that that makes zero sense to me. I get because the whole hometown team, but uh, I just just think that would be horrible for Buffalo. They already have enough firepower, and that's why I think a lot of people are, are predicting to make the playoffs is because they're so entertaining. And I will, yeah. I will say I would love for them to get there. If they get there, that is sweet. I would love to see that happen. I would love to see them prove me wrong because they are so fun and they are firecrackers every single game. Uh, it's just, to me, I feel like I will worries in that second half, how they adapt in that and in that Atlantic. And to me, it's just kind of going to be a bloodbath that I'm not sure if Buffalo is going to get on top of this year, but definitely next year once. I think they're a little bit more accustomed to it. Yeah, not that we we were we were a little bit off base on the Predators take. I fully agree with that Sabres one. People expecting Levi, fantastic at the college level. Don't get me wrong, mm. but after seven games in the NHL level, to say he's going to be a Calder finalist, he's going to be a nine fifteen guy, is a little bit ridiculous to me. And just past that, it's a lot of young guys in that forward core that I'm not sure are going to take that next step. So they mm. have that great first line, but the rest of the forward core, I don't think, is fully there yet. And I think okay. Kevin Adams, as you said, he only really got kind of cliffed in the summer. I think that was him admitting that, yeah, next year isn't really our year. Let's see what we have. And then once those deals start to kick in and we can 
plan our cap space more efficiently, yeah. then we go get some guys on three to four year win now deals. Not quite yet. So I think Buffalo is definitely going to be a competitive team, but everybody comparing them to like, I seen them like, Oh, they're the New Jersey devils this year. I think, I think that's a bad comparison. New Jersey devils went out and got Marino the previous offseason, got Dougie Hamilton. They massively improved like year over year. It's not really the case that Buffalo, although they should be a pretty good team still. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, we'll go out on a limb on this one, Mike. We're going to go down together. <laughs> Buffalo <Bills. laughs> yeah, no, it's, when, when the Sabres win the Stanley Cup, I'll be scrubbing this episode. Don't worry. Yep. <laughs> It'll be 25 minutes instead of 30. But uh, <laughs> obviously, one of the biggest story by far, first two games, well, the first two days he played both games, is Connor Bedard, goal and an assist already, had like five or six shots on goal in his first game. I didn't watch a ton of the second game, but... Mm-hmm. What do you think about Connor Bedard overall? What do you expect after seeing these first two games? What's like your point goal assist expectations this season? And just going forward, what do you think about him as a player, his potential, and what Chicago is building as a whole? Yeah, I mean, he sucks because he's tied with Corey Perry in points, obviously. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Corey Perry has a heart and a rocket. You got to respect that. That's true. That's true. Uh, Stars legend as well. Um, I, I feel like Bedard has been pretty, I would say, about what I expected. Um, I mean, just carrying Chicago in zone entries and shot attempts. I mean, he's probably going to lead the NHL in shot attempts because that would be hilarious. Um, and it's so funny looking through like the game logs and everything, just seeing how much he dominates the ice time and everything. Like Chicago, he. it seems like Bedard has the capability to do it, so you might as well play him if you can. But no, I mean, I think he's he's playing exactly how he should. I mean, I don't think he's doing anything. I mean, I think the fact that both of his points so far haven't been too flashy is actually a really good thing. I think we've seen Bedard so far not take it easy, but be a little bit more of a, of an overall player, be a little bit more of a, of a physical presence. And I feel like him as well, the, the, I think the, the anticipation in this play has been one of the biggest things. I mean, he's having takeaways too. He's one play uh, in that Pittsburgh game that really caught my eye was he was uh, playing in the defensive zone. Chris Letang was on the blue line. He goes to pass to his partner yep. on the right side and, and he, and he's right there on the jump, getting it and putting it out of the zone, starting his own entry into the offensive zone. And that to me, that anticipation in his overall game was one of the things I want to see the biggest improvement out of from his junior years, because it, it seems like now we can officially confirm. Yeah. There were moments where he was just, he was just too good for junior and he probably knew that and was just you know making some defensive mistakes but I think he is now up to the challenge completely and we've seen every single game in and out just how much of a mature player he is already already looking like a 25 year old looking like he belongs and that's best case scenario if you're Chicago I mean no matter how many points he gets I mean you want to see that growth already you want to see him look like he belongs because we have seen far too many first overall picks in their first year in the NHL just look like they should be in the league instead like I'm sick and tired Mm -hmm. of that man and I, I'm glad that we see Bedard already from the first shift looking like he belongs on a first line. I mean, I think we deserve that as hockey fans. <laughs> yeah, if he busted, that would have been bad. But uh, yeah, no, no, I agree wholeheartedly. It seems like although his line mates aren't that good, it seems like he's trusting Taylor all a decent amount. It's not like he's playing purely hero ball like he could at the WHL level where you could just dangle through 5,000 people. But overall, yeah, I was really impressed. His skating, he was able to entered the zone mm-hmm. very good against, especially, I think he like dangled the hell out of Eric Carlson on yep. one play. It's not really saying much, but yeah, it, it's his anticipation too. He had a couple like slick behind the back passes. He just mm-hmm. sees the game so well. And I knew that that would translate to the NHL level. What's yep. your prediction right now in terms of goals and assists for a rookie year? I started preseason 
I said 35 and 42 for 77. What do you think? I feel like that's not too far off. I I was more in the camp of like 60, 65 because I was not sure how Chicago was going to be around him, but they actually aren't looking too bad around him, which is crazy. <laughs> but yeah. Ryan, Ryan um, Donato has impressed me in the first yeah, two games. I, I think he's actually been pretty solid. I picked him up in fantasy after the first game. <laughs> I was like, you know, I got I got to make it happen. Um, but yeah, I would totally agree. I would say probably more around like the 72 point range, probably around um, 35 goals, pretty even spread for him. Um, but I think honestly, I mean, considering what we've seen for rookies, I mean, I've seen people saying he's going to get a hundred points and stuff like yeah, that. I mean, uh, I, I want whatever they're smoking, but even then, if he get like, if he has 60, 70 points, people forget, you know, just how incredible that is for an 18 year old rookie. Yeah. Uh, and, and to me, especially on Chicago system, like that is, I mean, that's like a hundred points on some, on some other team. Like he would be doing gangbusters over in New Jersey if he was there. But, um, to me, I think it's been about as good as it can be. And I think he'll have a pretty good season throughout. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I remember people like comparing him to how McDavid was above a point per game. McDavid still had young Dry Seidel who had like 50 points yep. in 70 games that year. He actually had like Taylor Hall in his prime. Like it is <laughs> it is not really comparable as long as he goes for 30 and 30. I have mm-hmm. absolutely no concerns. The reason why I'm still kind of high on like mid to high 70s is he's playing 21 minutes a night. They are yeah. they're kind of running him into the crowd like <laughs> which they as they should, but like maybe maybe take it down a little bit, but he is getting a ton of ice time. So we got 5 minutes left now. We're going to be running, we're going to be doing a would you rather Jason Robertson edition. Grav Nathan is obviously a Stars fan, so I, I assume he's like your favorite player for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. Hi. Hi. So let's dive into it. The first one is Elias Pettersson, Jason Robertson, or Elias Pettersson? Elias Pettersson. <laughs> Elias <laughs> Definitely. Uh... Definitely. I- I'm like a toss-up. I think I might slightly go okay. Pettersson just because he's a center and better defensively, yeah. but Robertson, well, better goal scorer. Is th- is, so is this now, or is this, you know, we're starting This season. Franchise. We'll go this season. Okay. Okay. I no mean, cap first... hit or anything. Just player. Yeah, player. yeah, yeah. This van, I mean, that Vancouver start though. Pedersen had like what five points or something. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, to me, I would still go Pedersen because I mean, he is everything I value in a hockey player right now. Um, I predict him win the Selkie, but he might just win the Art Ross at this point. Um, but he to me is is just he is the epitome of of just a smart just a skill, just everything you'd want in a centerman. He is that. And if he improves his face-offs, man, to me, he is already a top five center in this league. And I don't think a lot of people have that opinion, but I have that opinion because of how, I mean, he was one of the most valuable players in the league last year to me. And this next year, that's going to continue. The fact that apparently the Canucks aren't that high on him. What Elias Pettersson are you watching? I mean, I like the other Elias (laughs) Pettersson. They're unsure about whether they want to sign him long term. Yeah. And they must be watching their other Elias Pettersson they drafted, who's still pretty good. But um, <laughs> all right, next it, one, next one, we got Jack Hughes. Oh, Jack Hughes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I go Jack Hughes as well. I'm a yeah. huge Jack Hughes guy. I just think his skating is so elite and just so mm-hmm. top tier. Obviously, it's not Connor McDavid, but it's like he does that at such an elite level, better than comparatively anything that like Jason Robertson says. His differentiating factor. So I personally yeah. go with Jack Hughes. Boy, about you. Yeah, to me, it's it's all about, you know, what I value. To me, I think I prefer a player that is 
the like one of the best creators in the league to a player that's a lot more of just a pure finisher and a player that is right place right time like Jason Robertson is probably one of the best players in the league at doing but to me Jack Hughes is a player that you know is close to bringing the complete package I think is, is a little bit further back than Elias Pettersson at this stage but I do like just how much progression there has been the skating is obviously unreal I mean we're talking about Bedard and the awareness he has Hughes has been unbelievable in that aspect and to me, I, I would again center. I would I would go Jack Hughes, even if it is hot. I'm not looking like the best uh, Jason Robertson. Yeah, right trash now. <laughs> him. Yeah, I'm about to be like Sebastian Aho, and you'd be like Sebastian Aho. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's not going on. Next, next, we got Sidney Crosby, Jason Robertson. Yeah, that one. Well, that one. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have said that that easily. Obviously, Sidney Crosby is is still still the kid. He still has so much going for him, and. You know, that 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 um, just pure work ethic and the way he the just puts himself on the ice is, is just so admirable, every, admirable every single game. Um, but to me, I would say at this stage, I would definitely prefer uh, Jason Robertson's shot recreation. I would prefer just how of a um, I, I guess just uh, how much of a just pure producer he is, though, with Crosby, we've seen just how consistent he has been so that's a hard one i would say for the stars right now though i would go especially jason robertson because of of course you already got rupe hints there and mm-hmm. you've got it you kind of have like a, a crosby like presence in joe pavelski already i know that's blasphemous to say to some people but joe is that influential to them um so to me i would say i would say just overall jason robertson but i mean Sid is still one of the best in the league yeah this is one of those like loser answers but uh for me like if it was like a game seven i might go like Sidney crosby i'm saying but if we're talking full season i think jason robertson can even improve on the season that he had last year i'm gonna go jason robertson right now my last one i might have to change this because i think i know who you're gonna go with at this point but david pasternak who you going with jason robertson damn <laughs> I, I, i'm st- i'm still going with pasta but i want to i want to hear your takes okay so this is to me one of the biggest things because i usually i mean that, that's that it's so hard because it's right now and Pasternak was unbelievable obviously last year and i mean so far too uh what did you get two goals in the, in the first game i can't remember but yeah. it's obviously still unreal um to me i would say i i give the edge a lot of the reasons I give the edge to uh, Robertson is I would say more of a uh, overall difference. Now Robertson isn't the greatest defensive player by any means, but I would say Pasternak is enough of a black hole defensively where I, I kind of value uh, Robertson a little bit more. And you also compare the playoffs too. I mean, I know that's a low blow considering what happened with Boston last year, but Pasternak yeah. I think was a main re- would have, was a pretty big reason. He woke up a little bit later on, but um, to me it was just kind of disappointing from him uh, and has been for a couple of years now. But to be with Robertson, I think there's just a little bit of an maybe not that extra gear because I think Postrock has a better skill set, but I think Robertson is maybe a better player at applying it to all situations. Um, but that is a close one. Offense, pure offense, I would give it to Postrock, but I would say the overall player for taking one right now, I would go Robertson. Yeah, it, it's definitely close. I think I passed at like eighth or ninth on mine, and like eleventh was Robertson. Just yeah. for me, you got to respect Pasta sixty-one last year, and obviously in previous years mm-hmm. he has won a Rocket Richard, so. If I'm maybe if I'm going like if I need one just one elite player like but if I can partner yeah. with someone another elite player I'm gonna go with Pasternak Jason Robertson can maybe carry an offense as a whole more on his own but right now I'm gonna go with Pasta but we are at the like 30 it. minute mark now so thank you so much Grav for joining us I really appreciate it we gotta have you gotta have you back on soon feel free to Love plug it. away your socials. 
Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on on uh, Twitter, YouTube, anything. Just search up uh, Gravite. I know saying that is uh, you're going to be like, how is that spelled? G-R-A-V-I-T-E-H. No, I'm not from Quebec. It, I was just being weird as a 14-year-old when I made my channel name. So let me have this, okay? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nathan Gravite as well if you want to find me there for all my bad takes. If you enjoy my bad mm. takes in this one, <laughs> I appreciate being on. Hey, I, I can respect the, the mistake of a name. Mine is supposed to be MB, Mike Bartner on hockey. Mm-hmm. Just became MBON on hockey. Roll with it. You, yeah. the, the followers, the fans determine your name. You have no, no decision on that. Whatever they it roll works. with ends up to be the thing. But yeah, thank you guys so much for watching. Like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. We'll be seeing you in the next one. Got to get Grav on soon. At some oh, yeah. point, we'll get him back on. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. Adios. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it.